Chapter Seven of The Outdoor Chums in the Big Woods. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Greg Giordano. The Outdoor Chums in the Big Woods by captain quincy allen chapter seven out for game they had a peaceful night with one exception along in the small hours bluff was heard to give a sudden wild whoop get out you cowardly beast he cried at the top of his voice of course there was considerable excitement frank had been wise enough to bring a little vest pocket type of electric torch with him knowing how valuable such a contrivance may be at times he instantly switched on the light and as he picked up his gun with one hand he managed to turn the white glow upon the bunk occupied by bluff the latter had apparently subsided for no more shouts rang out frank discovered him lying there rubbing his eyes he looked as though hardly knowing whether to burst out laughing or appear ashamed of having startled the others so what's all this row mean bluff demanded frank sternly shucks i guess i must have been dreaming that's all he was told what nipped you because you acted as if it hurt jerry asked why you see explained bluff i had come across that big bill nackerson while roaming through the woods, and he managed to sneak my gun away when I wasn't looking. Then what did he do but sick that mangy cur of his on me? I was kicking like everything at him. See how I sent my blanket out on the floor? All I wanted was one sound smack at his ugly jaws. I'm sorry I woke up so soon, because next time I'd have fetched him well go to sleep again and let's hope you dream of other things besides scrapping advised jerry as he proceeded to once more deposit his gun in a corner and crawl under his blanket bluff must have taken the advice to heart at any rate his voice was not heard again until frank pounded on the frying pan to let the sleepers know it was time to creep out then each one in turn wanted to learn whether breakfast was ready as they ate they began to lay out plans for the day of course bluff and frank must try to get us some venison will said and that'll leave jerry to assist me in camp besides i want to find places to fix up my flashlight for the next night if i can get a picture of some animal taken by himself it'll please me a heap what you know about the habits of these little creatures will help me out lots jerry i may be able to give a little advice too will the latter remarked as he helped himself to another flapjack because you know i went out with that gentleman who was stopping at our house late this fall he had the flashlight habit about as bad as anyone i've ever met oh you did mention it to me once i remember said the other evidently much pleased then you may have picked up a few little wrinkles that'll help me out in my game leave that to me replied jerry swelling with importance i can put you wise to heaps of things you see i like to ask questions 
and Mr. Mallon always gave me the straight answer. Breakfast was now about over, and the proposed hunt came next in order. Frank never went off without making sure of a number of small, but very important things. First of all, he carried a compass. Next, he made certain that he had an abundance of matches. After that, ammunition was taken care of. And last of all, enough food for a snack. Frank was also a great hand for arranging a code of signals with his chums. This was an easy thing to do, because they had gone together so long now that they had a regular system that could be used as a means of conferring with one another, even when a considerable distance apart. Will's mentioning that he wished we thought to fetch some syrup or honey along to go with the flapjacks, Frank was saying, just before they broke away from camp. Makes me think that there are plenty of wild bees up here in Maine. Men hunt for their tree hives every season, and often find stacks of good honey, too. Well, then, for goodness sake, fellows, exclaimed Will, please keep an eye out for any sign of a hive. Nothing would please me better than to have a pail of honey on hand. I'd just like to fill myself up with it for once. It's a poor time of year to find a bee tree, said Frank. They usually look for a hive in summer, when the bees are flying and can be traced. Often the storehouse is away up at the top of a high tree. The weather is so cold now, there wouldn't be any young bees airing themselves in the sun. Well, you never know, ventured Jerry. And, as you saunter along, just watch out for the signs. I understand bears often raid a hive. You might find empty combs lying on the ground under some tree. Make up your mind we'll not forget to keep an eye out, Frank assured the camp guardians. That reminds me. I promised to tell you a lot of interesting things about this country up here. I'll do it tonight, if you mention it to me after supper. I'll remind you, sure thing, returned Bluff eagerly, because I understand that a whole army of people make some sort of a living out of the main woods, and I've always wanted to know how they could do it. Take my gun away, and I'd like as not starve to death here inside of a week. All because you haven't been brought up in Maine, Frank told him, and are as good as blind to the wonderful opportunities all around you. But, if you're ready, Bluff, let's be starting off. Good luck to you, cried Will, who was already engaged with his camera. Bluff was soon tagging along at the heels of Frank, though occasionally he took a notion to push to the front. This was when he fancied that a particular patch of undergrowth looked promising. Being in a humor to gather in a few of the numerous plump partridges that they knew were to be found in the timber, Bluff had his pump gun loaded with shells, containing moderate loads of powder and small shot. He thought that, with Frank at his side carrying a repeating rifle, there was no need of both being on the lookout for big game. They walked on, apparently in an aimless fashion, but Frank knew just where he was going. One of his objects had been to avoid heading in the quarter where he had reason to believe that deserted trapper's cabin was located, near the edge of the muskrat marsh. If, as they feared, it was now occupied by Bill Nackerson and his crew, Frank wanted to keep as far away from the place as he could. Suddenly there came a humming sound that caused Bluff to throw up his gun. With a quick discharge, 
a flutter of feathers announced that he had made a hit. That's a good start, Bluff, Frank told him. You got your bird all right. But hold on. Don't think of rushing over there. There were two others, and perhaps you don't know a queer way partridges have of lighting on the lower limbs of trees after being flushed. Say, that's a fact. You did tell me that once, but I've forgotten it, Bluff candidly admitted. And they use a dog to scare the birds up. That was what Nackerson had trained his cur to do, wasn't it? They bark and run about under the tree, after the birds have taken to the limbs, Frank continued, and so the hunter can walk up close to pick up his shot. It's easy work, and when the partridges are thick up here, no one need go hungry. Well, all I've ever shot went off like a hurricane, and often I've had to let fly with my gun part way up my shoulder. Do you see either of the others, Frank? Yes, and, as luck will have it, they've lighted in such a way they're both in range. I believe you could drop two birds with one shot, Bluff. I see him now, muttered Bluff. Watch my smoke. When he fired again, both birds fell. Bluff looked as though half ashamed of such easy work. Three already, eh? Nearly a chicken apiece all round. Well, I might limit myself to just one more, and then call my part of the business off for today. He loaded himself down with the partridges, though Frank offered to carry one or more for him. You'll need both hands for quick work, if we should happen to start a deer a little later on, Bluff replied, giving Frank a cheery smile. Listen, there goes a gun, said Frank, soon afterward. There's another, yes, and a whole raft of them, cried Bluff. Of course it's that crowd of Nackersons. I'm glad they're pretty far away from here. Yes, and we'll make a detour, so as not to get any closer to them, Frank said, as he changed their course. I hope this new ground will give us better luck, Bluff went on. They continued to push on until half a mile had been traversed. It happened that Bluff was a little in advance of his chum, when, without the least warning, there was a sudden crash in the thicket. Then he saw something dun-colored spring away. Oh, Frank, look! There he goes skipping out, and it's a three-pronged buck at that, he shouted. Then, realizing that he might be interfering with the other's aim, being in line with the fleeing deer, Bluff dropped flat to the ground. End of Chapter 7 Recording by Greg Giordano Newport Ritchie, Florida